Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session two, rushing toward the difficulty, a vision for the return of vigor and manly purpose to the role of the man. So the truth point one from the first session is the life of Christ is always aimed purposely and aggressively toward the lowest, most humble and inconvenient place. And so must we purposely and aggressively aim our lives in this direction. Truth number one, truth number two, the life of Christ vigorously pursues the freedom of the captives. As a shepherd, he sprints headlong into the wolf pack for the preservation of his sheep. You see, there's two different ways that we can appropriate this message. One is being willing. A shepherd may be willing to be a shepherd and say, okay, I'm willing. And understanding that it's going to be a difficult job. And then when he sees a lion coming against his sheep, you see, a shepherd needs more than just willingness to be a shepherd. He needs to, willingness to be a good shepherd. And a good shepherd does something about those wolves. And so it's extra inconvenient. You know that it's inconvenient to be a shepherd in the first place? It's very uncomfortable work from what I understand. I've never been a shepherd. I've had people come up to me and say, so have you ever been a shepherd? You sure do talk about it a lot. No, I just read things. And supposedly some of my data has been incorrect. Uh, uh, sheep can be tougher than I realize at times. Uh, so I guess some of them can, be, can pack on the pounds and buck something out of... Uh, so, hey, uh, I don't know if that makes them any smarter, uh, but... When it comes to being a shepherd, it's a very uncomfortable position. The weather isn't going to be good. Uh, the sheep are not necessarily the easiest to deal with. And there's, they're always lunch or dinner for some other predator. So there needs to be a constant watchfulness. There's no downtime for a shepherd. And so as a result, it's hard work. It's inconvenient just to be a shepherd, but it's extra inconvenient to have to function as a good shepherd. Because if you just allow your sheep to be eaten by the wolf, you know what? Hey, it's too bad. You know what? There's a lot of problems in the world. So you can agree to say, yeah, God, I'm willing to stand for you and to pray for the orphan. It's a whole nother thing to go beyond prayer and say, God, I open up my home to the orphan. It's one thing to say, yeah, I care about the homeless. It's a whole nother thing to allow them into your home. It's a whole different thing when you begin to be the good shepherd and vigorously pursue these things as opposed to just intellectually esteem them. So here's our key ideas. The first two we covered in the first message, and now we're going to add a new one. The upside-down kingdom. Number two, the behavior of living water. It seeks the lowest place. And three, the sprinting shepherd. So key idea number three, the sprinting shepherd. Brethren, do something. Do something, do something. While societies and unions make constitutions, let us win souls. I pray you be men of action, all of you. Get to work and quit yourselves like men. Old Suvorov's idea of war is mine. Forward and strike, no theory, attack, form a column, charge bayonets, plunge into the center of the enemy. Our one aim is to win souls, and this we are to not talk about, but do in the power of God. Cultivating the shepherd's response. And it came to pass, this is David in the valley of Elah, 
Goliath is standing on the other side of the valley. He's been boasting and mocking the camp of Israel for 40 straight days. Now we're on the 41st day. David, the young shepherd boy, I want to emphasize shepherd boy, has showed up in the camp to deliver bread and cheese. That's the reason he was there. And he overhears the boasting. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. So David is now in open hand-to-hand combat with Goliath. This is the most absurd, to use that word again, situation you could ever imagine. A young shepherd boy, we don't know exactly how old he was, but very likely he was on the younger side of things, against the greatest warrior in his generation. If you, depending on how you measure a cubit, this guy was anywhere from nine to twelve and a half feet tall. I always lean towards the twelve and a half feet uh, side because it makes the story far more enjoyable. And came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Who in the right minds, when you step into hand-to-hand combat without armor, without shield, without sword, without any normal weaponry to fight, and then he sprinted. The word hasten is mahar. In a simple way, it means to move with liquid ferocity as a lion towards his prey. What? So I want to look at that word, uh, mahar. To move headlong with haste, sprinting, springing straightway into danger. To move with liquid ferocity as a lion toward his prey. What a great word that is. You know what? This word actually has a couple different meanings. And I'll get to the other one. But I want you to ponder this. This is the word that defines the spirit of God inside of David. David shows up and he sees a problem. You know what David was anointed to do? He was anointed to be the king over Israel. Now, he wasn't recognized as king over Israel because Saul wasn't too happy about that and was still seated on his throne. But David was the rightful king of Israel. He was a shepherd. And so when he's used to protecting his sheep, David has already slain a lion and a bear that have come after his sheep. Now he shows up and who are his sheep? This nation. All these warriors that are out there are actually under his jurisdictional control as a shepherd. Think about that. This is his sheep and he knows what it means to stand up for his sheep. And who does he see? He sees a wolf. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he would dare defy the armies of the living God. What does David do? He mahars. He moves headlong against the challenge. Who would ever do that? Talk about an inconvenience. Uh, David, you might want to think this through. People die doing this? That's my job. I'm a shepherd, David could say. You see, yes, people do die. People do suffer from very difficult circumstances in life when they step up and mahar in a situation in their life. However, what is the right thing to do? David's famous quote is, is there not a cause? When you see Anika, does that quote well up in you? Is there not a cause? But David, or put your name in there. But Eric, you need to be reasonable here. You need to be rational about this. That is absurd. Hmm, it's absurd? Oh, that really does fit the kingdom of heaven then. So the word mahar... Let's, let's look at the word Mahar David style. The word, every Greek, I'm sorry, Hebrew words are based in three-letter verbs. Those are called the roots. And this is a root. Mahar is a, a root verb. It's an action. And so if we're going to Mahar David style, let's look at it. So the first letter is a mem. And it looks like, this is the ancient pictograph. It looks like water. And so it means water. It's actually what the letter itself means, which also means blood, chaos, and might. And so the way I would like to look at this is that M, when we're talking about Mahar David style, means boiling blood, swiftness of rushing rapids. He sprints. And the next letter in Mahar is the H sound, which is a He. 
And it's a symbol of a man with his arms raised up in the air. And the concept is breathing, looking, revealing. There's something that is being showcased. And so it's for the growling, growling for the glory of God with slings swinging above his head. That's actually the position David could have been in. Even if you want to look at it, he's rushing headlong with liquid ferocity, moving like the rapids with his arms raised. Why? Well, for the rrr, the resh, which is a symbol of a man's head. First top or beginning. What's he doing with that sling? He's removing the head of Goliath, right smack into the head of Goliath. That's actually what the word in the Hebrew means. Those three things are exactly the picture of what David is even doing in the scene. So the word Mahar, let's look at it Jesus style. Same letters. Mem, water, blood, chaos, might, pouring out his own blood and water. Hey, man with arms raised, arms raised, nailed to a gibbet, a cross, breathing his last. Behold the Lamb of God revealing the glory of the I Am. And then what else does the shepherd do? Well, he crushes the serpent's head and establishes his headship overall. What's the cross? Mahar, Jesus says, I'll go. He's a shepherd. Shepherds, Mahar. What happens when we as men, you know that men are typically the ones dragging their heels when it comes to some of the compassionate or merciful dimensions of the body of Christ today? Women are always like, oh, honey, could we please consider adopting? Could we please consider going on this missions trip? And the husband is very practical. He's thinking it through financially. By the way, I'm famous for doing this. He's thinking it through rationally. He's thinking it through logistically. When we adopted Lillian Reese, we had a seven passenger Sienna. Okay. We had four kids and two of us at six. We have room to grow, you know, so it was very purposeful. Look at that. We have an extra seat. And what do I get asked? Eric and Leslie, will you consider adopting these two? Two? That's impractical. That is inconvenient. And so two, two and a half years ago, I traded in my Sienna with seven seats. For You know that you cannot upgrade a Sienna with seven seats to a Sienna with eight seats? You know that you have to get a whole new vehicle, supposedly, as the rumor has it, because I spent, I lost 7000 on one car to upgrade to an eight-passenger Sienna. So rationally, how is a man doing? This is inconvenient. This is not the way it's supposed to work. No, that's not the way a good shepherd thinks. A good shepherd says, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what has to happen. I don't care if I have to work an extra job. I'm Maharan. I'm moving in this direction. Is there not a cause? Mahar. Here's the other meaning of Mahar. This is amazing. To obtain or acquire by paying purchase price. Give a dowry to buy, especially a wife. Uh, do you see the gospel? What does it mean? It's a picture of David coming against Goliath. It's a picture of Jesus coming against sin, the flesh, death, crushing its head. What's it also a picture of? Redemption. The purchase of a bride. Sprint. You see, this is not something to ponder over and go into your little hole and think it through. This is something that we know what we ought to do. You already know what you need to do. I remember when I was in missionary school, one of the, the teachers said, you know, the will of God, some people try and make it so mystical and difficult to comprehend. The will of God can be as simple as walking down the road and seeing a crushed up piece of trash on the ground and knowing what you ought to do. Don't kick it. Pick it up and throw it away. Far too practical, isn't it? Sometimes that which is obvious, we don't want to be that obvious. 
Hudson's famous quote. Did you know that all these kids that are orphans would not be orphans anymore if we adopted them? How do you solve the orphan crisis? Well, you see, God puts the solitary in families. What does he need? Families. What does that family have to have? An, an open door. They have to be willing to mahar. They have to be willing to say yes. And I tell you what, there is nothing convenient about it. Mahare, did you know that that's actually a name? Isn't that a great name? Now, I don't know that any of us are going to name our boys this, but it's still, it's a great name. It means the impetuous. And you know that it is one of David's mighty warriors? His name is actually based on this verb. Oh, I love it. So, impetuous. Most likely, if you've heard the word impetuous, you know that it's not a very positive word. However, remember, we're talking about an upside-down kingdom here. So... What impetuous means, technically, if you want to look at what mahare would mean, it means rushing with great force and violence, moving rapidly, furious, forcible, fierce, raging as an impetuous wind, an impetuous torrent. Uh, Slow down, buddy. Uh, You're going to get yourself in trouble if you keep moving in these directions. You see, there are all sorts of things that we need wisdom for and we need caution against. Don't go rushing into the wolf pack. However, when you see a sheep with a broken leg and a wolf coming against it, what do you do? You rush out to help the sheep. You see, we rush headlong with impetuosity towards that which is deemed by God that which needs to be rescued. We don't do stupid things. I'm not saying bungee jump. I'm not saying just do something that is going to risk your life because, oh, Eric was talking about impetuosity. No, I'm not saying be stupid. I'm saying be like Christ. Christ was led of the Spirit. He only did that which the Father was doing, and he only spoke that which the Father was speaking. When he went to the cross, he was doing the Father's business. But he did it. When God asked, he sprinted. When David saw Goliath, he mahared. So the spiritually impetuous, one moved by impetus. You ever heard the word impetus? It's a great word. So the impetuous is one moved by impetus. Well, what's impetus? Impetus, force of motion. The force with which any body is driven or impelled. The force with which one body in motion strikes another. So, is there anything in you that lifts you and carries you to Anika? Anything? And some of you just honestly could say, no. No, there's absolutely nothing going on here. No, I'm fine the way I am. You see, you're missing something. Because some of us actually know what this is like. We try and quell it and we try and downplay it. Oh, I don't feel any impetus. However... When God moves in, what's going on inside of me? Why am I suddenly caring about that? Why am I crying over that? Why am I actually interested in doing this mission trip? I can't, but what's happened to me? I'm thinking weird. I am behaving odd. Because you remember your old life and you remember the framework from which you came. You haven't gotten enough distance to think it's weird or to think your old life was weird. You're actually looking at your old life as normal and now you're starting to look at your new life as absurd. When in actuality, the more you progress in this new life of Christianity, you begin to think it's totally normal to do wacko things. The world out there is looking at you like, oh, those Christians. And yet, to you, the absurd is now completely wise and normal and right. You're a good shepherd. Someone needs to stand up for that little one. And you know who it needs to be. We don't wait for another shepherd to show up on the job site. We know our job. One of Jackie Pullinger's famous statements that is really affected Leslie and I over the years is she said, whenever I hear about someone in trouble, like whether I hear it over the news or I read it in the paper, 
I have to assume spiritually I'm the only one that has ever heard it. And as a result, I have to come before God and say, God, I'm your vessel. And oftentimes it's just to pray. But sometimes God says, you're my vessel. Go. So our impetus, who is our impetus? We actually have an impetus. We have something in us that moves us. It's living water and it's seeking something. What's it doing? What's it seeking? Where does it want to go? It wants to go to the low place. Nika, the living water is like, hey, I need out. But many of us want to bottle it up. You see, Christianity is not a bottling factory necessarily. It's ascending. And so as a result, we need to always be opening the spigot. We need to be lifting the gate, allowing those waters out. The Spirit of God needs to do, has work to be done in this world. In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Listen to this. But this spoke he of the Spirit. You see, those living waters are the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Because that, Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, when you believe on Jesus, you receive a spirit. It's an impetus. It's a life that pushes you to live differently than you've ever lived before. The church of Jesus Christ, the Mahare of God, it's the ones that are doing something. It's the ones that have action to the spirit agenda. We're the church. We're revealing to the heavenlies the manifold wisdom of God. How are we going to do that unless we're doing something? You see, we have faith, but then that faith takes hold of these hands, these feet, these eyes, these mouths, these hearts, and it moves something known as the body forward. You see, God is going to do a great work in this world, but he's looking for hands. He's looking for feet. He's looking for mouths. He's looking for the body to indwell and to push. And that body needs to say, yes, Lord. The mighties of Jesus, this is who the Maure, the church is. The mighties of Jesus Christ, out of our innermost flows rivers of living water. And we submit ourselves to the sufferings of Christ that we might reveal his manifold wisdom, his glorious nature to the on, this onlooking world. And prove that the head of our adversary is crushed and that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Are we the Mahare or the mommy I'm scared? David and Saul. Saul? was head and shoulders above all of Israel. He was rejected as king, but he was still the one operative as king. And when Goliath stood in the valley of Elah, who was the one responsible to stand up for the sheep of Israel? It was Saul. And what did he do? Nothing. Saul was scared. You know that Saul was a giant in Israel? He was a giant. He would have been Israel's Goliath. And David, the shepherd boy delivering bread and cheese, he was the true shepherd of Israel. And as a result, when he shows up, David hasted, Saul sat. David knew something needed to be done. He knew he had received the spirit in order to go and do. Saul hoped that the problem would solve itself, that the big mocking giant would go away. But every day he woke up the giant, but every day he woke up, the giant strolled forward closer and his bark grew louder. Remember, the living water goes to the low spot. It is always in search of the Nika. And one of the things it says about Jesus that he came to seek and save that which was lost. You know that most of us are waiting for that which is lost to come to us. Suburbia does something to us. And I'll be the first one to acknowledge that it does it. This is a hard place to be a missionary. It's a hard place to be one that functions as living water ought to function right here. Windsor, Colorado has to rank pretty high on the list of difficult places to go in the direction of living water. However, 
If your assignment is here, you need to know that you have the impetus to do it. And there is a job to be done. And those jobs, there's bigger coordinated efforts. And there's small daily efforts. You know that not all of us are called to adopt Nika, but I guarantee you, every single one of us in here is called to seek and save the Nikas. Every single one. It isn't a special calling. It isn't like a bonus calling that one of us is going to get like, oh, I just have a heart for Nikas. All of us should have a heart for Nikas. Whether we're the one adopting or the one helping someone adopt, we have a heart for Nika. We care about Nika. You see, all of us are built for the East End. Why? Because we're all built by God. Christ builds us to do his work. So therefore, even though we may not live in East End London, actually, in geographical location, we still have a heart for that which is in the East End of any circumstance, any situation. The Holy Spirit seeks out the Nika, always seeking out the low spot, always seeking out the East End. So our soul, you know that when the Holy Spirit comes into our soul, where it's going to go? It's going to go to our weak points. It's going to go to that aspect of our life that needs to be repaired and rebuilt. Why? because that's where the Holy Spirit goes. The Holy Spirit is looking to make strong that which is weak. And the same is true about our soul. How about our marriages? When the Holy Spirit is working on our marriage, he doesn't just pat us on the back where we're strong. He fixes where we're weak. He is like water. He's going to go to the weak spot. How about our families? Yeah. God is interested in overhauling our families. If we will follow him as a good shepherd in our soul, in our marriage, in our families, we're going to see That God begins to rescue those dying aspects of our life. Those weakened aspects of our life. Our church. You know that in every body, there's weak spots? We all, imagine if all of us are functioning as good shepherds. And we're turning outward to begin to to meet the needs of the weaker amongst us. How about our school? Our business? Our neighborhood? Our town? Our state? Our country? Our continent? Our world? We as the body of Christ need to recognize where God's going. But it starts individually. We start, we might not adopt a Nika, but we do need to adopt God's agenda in our own life. And when we begin to take these small steps forward, God begins to change us. Some of you might be eight years old. And at eight years old, it's sort of hard to know exactly what to do to change the world sometimes. But you know, if you yield your body and you say, God, take this, take this life and use it. You know that he will? You know that an eight-year-old can lead people to Christ? An eight-year-old can showcase the grandeur of heaven? An eight-year-old can help Anika? Hudson always has a burden for Reese and Lily. And so he goes out and buys blankets. And in a sense, that's why it's so powerful for me as a father to realize that as Hudson has been moved to say, I want to do something for Reese and Lily, that in a sense, he is doing something for Nika. You see, he sees Reese and Lily, so that's who he serves. And yet in serving Reese and Lily, what do Reese and Lily now have the privilege of doing? Serving Anika. And so as a result, when we're serving, no matter if it's big or small, God can use it to help the Nikas. So as we begin to build this message, I want you to allow that tension to remain. Remember, are you willing? The second point is, are you ready to sprint? Uh, The willingness is sort of a first thing first, though. You're not going to sprint if you're not first willing. And yet, when you're willing, then God wants to begin to quicken your pace. You ever notice that some of us will dawdle a little bit in our willingness? It's like, okay, I'm getting to that, God. Yeah, one of these days, I'll actually do that. I've had many areas of my life that could fall into that category. God wants to begin to quicken our pace, the sharpness with which we say, yes, yes, I'm ready. 
Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.